Hi there, and welcome back to The Infected. We hope you're doing well. For the next hour or so, please sit back, relax, and enjoy some great freaking music with us. After three seasons, Jeroen and I still have plenty of great tracks we want to share and discuss with you all, from well-known bands to little recent obscurities. And thanks for dropping some suggestions, by the way. We will play and discuss some over the next episodes. And today we have two, so stay tuned. Even though spring's in the air, let's start off with a cold one from Lycia.
what an opening, right? Oh man, <laughs> great track. It's just, it takes you away on feathered wings. It's uh, yeah, beautiful. Well said, man. So I believe we covered Lycia earlier, right? Is it the first season when we're still doing it in Dutch with Jan Willem or the second? I can't remember, but... Um, well, we definitely featured them before, but uh, I'm yeah, really right. happy you brought them back for this track. <laughs> yeah, likewise, man. They popped up on my radar, actually, I believe a week or two or three ago. I uh, was looking on Spotify and I saw I missed some recent EPs and uh, reissues and uh, new stuff by them. It keeps giving me goosebumps. They've been very consistent in the, the vibe and the atmosphere that they've been putting out. Used to own this on vinyl, by the way. It was milky white with shitty brown in the middle, really. <laughs> it's, 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 it, yeah. Look it up on Discogs. It's, it really looks kind of messy. But uh, you this, make it sound so attractive. <laughs> yeah. I, this is the, from the album Cold. They released it in 1996. They did most of their uh, releases on cassette tapes. And as of, I believe, early or mid-90s, also on CD, but there are only a few final releases. And they are from Phoenix, Arizona, kind of warm, hmm. even though this sounds cold, the album is called Cold. But they, uh, they moved to Ohio, mid-90s, and they had two years there. Mike van Portfleet and Tara Van Flower, <laughs> winter-inspired uh, track names. Yeah, they began recording on four-track tapes, only moved to eight-track, I believe, in the second half of the 90s. Anyway, sounds quite basic, but some of the best-sounding albums by big bands were recorded on eight-track. It's more than enough, and uh, they put it out on CD, but luckily for us now, it's all, almost all of their catalog is available on Spotify these days. Yeah, that's great stuff. And, you know, many bands get dazzled by all of the options that they have in a really big studio with uh, 64 tracks and they just go overboard. Um, I mean, if you're a real musician and you put feeling into it, you know, four tracks is all you need. Yeah, true. Also, what I like about this track is uh, I was amazed that uh, it's almost, uh, it, get, it clocks in at five and a half minutes and I would have sworn it's like three. Oh, really? Always when this song ends, I, I'm I'm like, um, already? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of you know? I, I was drifting away. It sounded like longer to me, to be quite honest. But most of their tracks are quite long. But okay, get it. I, yeah. I felt like I was uh, way off in the stratosphere, and then all of a sudden it stops. I'm like, hey, don't leave me out here. Don't leave me hanging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, this whole album flows. Every track flows in into the next one. It's kind of a one big ambient album, but uh, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So we got some. Uh, we got a really cool new feature, uh, which uh, you may or may not have noticed, uh, depending on whether you're a Spotify fan. But uh, you can uh, give us shoutouts on uh, Spotify now, and we got one from T White from Las Vegas. She recently drove all the way through the desert to Los Angeles to go see Depeche Mode live. Man, we're jealous. I hope you saw a great show, T. Depeche Mode are fantastic live. I'm sure they rocked in LA. Sounds good. Did they, they just release a new album, right? Yeah, someone else also asked us to play a track from the new Depeche Mode album, something with a great username yeah. on Spotify, 538UL84. Nice and personal. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe change your username to something okay. uh, more interesting, guy or girl, I don't know. But, uh, you know, frankly, uh, we listened, but we're skipping the new Depeche Mode album. Uh, in my opinion, the album's sound is excellent, but the songs are just a bit subdued. And, and I'm missing a particular urgency on this latest Depeche yeah. Mode album. Sounds, sounded more like fillers than actual killers. No, it's all a bit down-tempo, and it's all a bit, uh, I don't know. Um, we do remain enormous fans of their earlier work, and I'm sure they'll return to form eventually. So uh, another shout out from us to uh, Jessica, our big fan from Little Rock, Arkansas. It looked like that Matrix theme party in Club Nevermore was pretty wild. Stay strange. <laughs> Do you want to reach out to us too? Follow us on Insta at The Infected NL or on Spotify. There you can interact directly with us. On your phone, look up our latest episode on Spotify. When you tap through to see the show details, you will find a Q&A section with the option to leave feedback. Of course, you can also use our site, www.deinfected.nl, where you'll find playlists, show notes, videos, and ways to contact us. We love hearing from you, our children of the night. Yes, we do. So on to uh, some more user content. A question from Jorrit, one of our faithful listeners. His question is, 
I read in Bono's book Surrender that you two were considered post-punk at the time in the late 70s. Do you guys agree? And if so, what song would be the best proof of that? That's a good one. It's an interesting question. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of U2 personally because uh, I tend to know their later songs and their more poppy ones, but uh, listen back to their earlier work and I, I understand this question. What about you? Well, a bit. Well, really, sim- if you put it simply, post-punk and music is the punk attitude recombined and blended with other music genres like pop, reggae, electronica, folk, etc. So New Wave then is a subgenre of post-punk and New Wave combines punk elements with electronic dance focusing less on guitars and more on synthesizers. So you could say, um, back to the question, was U2 considered post-punk in the late 70s? Well, <laughs> in the late 1970s U2 was not seen as anything at all. They only first appeared on the radar in the 80s. Uh, but yes, Boy, October and War, I think, are post-punk albums. Just listen to this track from their debut album, Boy. It was produced by Steve Lillywhite. Pay some special attention to the sound of the drums of drummer Larry Mullen Jr., by the way. Steve Lillywhite had him playing in a stairwell to get the right echo on the drum sound. <laughs> oh, cool. This is it, the electric go.
the electric go. Soho, what did you think? I like it, man. As I said, I'm not really a U2 fan, but I don't know much of their earlier work. I just know their poppy stuff. I like the energy, man. Yeah, this uh, has the uh, the urgency of the up-and-coming uh, young guys storming the charts and, uh, you know, having big dreams. Uh, I've known and loved this song for many years, but I never realized what it's about until I uh, did some research on the track. Your lyrics, man, I know. Yeah, yeah. No, well, actually, <laughs> the, I, I always thought, why make a song about an electric company, right? I mean, good question. What what makes that interest? What makes that interesting? So now I took some time off uh, out to find out, and um, basically, it's about a Dublin friend of the band who attempted suicide and ended up in St. Brendan's Psychiatric Hospital in Dublin, where his experiences inspired this song. What happened to him at the psychiatric hospital is that he got electroconvulsive shock therapy. A horrific procedure that was quite common in Dublin in the 1970s. So, the electric co was neighborhood slang for the procedure in which electric currents are passed through the brain, intentionally triggering a brief seizure. The goal is to cause changes in brain chemistry that can reverse symptoms of certain mental health conditions. In early treatments though, high doses of electricity were administered without anesthesia, potentially leading to memory loss, fractured bones and other serious side effects. The electric co. Some story, eh? Yeah, definitely. But so um, it had to be quite severe in order for people to take these risks. What the what the hell? <laughs> yeah, they still do it, but these days, a they provide anesthesia, and b the currents are uh, much much more, uh, uh, let's say, limited uh, and, and low in power. Hmm. Uh, so they started out with raw power and no anesthesia on a level that you really really uh, could mess you up. Damn. Did you see that uh, documentary about Jeffrey Dahmer, by the way, on Netflix? I heard about it. It's supposed to be good, right? Yeah, he, he, yeah, it, it's good and interesting. I also saw some stuff about him on YouTube many, many years ago, but it uh, reminds me of him because he was also drilling holes in people's heads in order to oh, yeah. lobotomize them or turn them into uh, zombies. Trepanation, that's that's meant to make you uh, directly accessible for higher powers. That's, right? that's probably the word. Direct channel into the into the brain, yeah. That's another that's another theory I'm never gonna try out. <laughs> no, me, me neither. Shall we uh, do something uh, more recent right now? What do you think? Let's move on. Yeah, oh good idea. What do you got? There's a band called Just Mustard. Oh yeah. And they have released I believe five, four things on, on, on Spotify. I, also, this is one I came across by accident. Let's play the track first. It's called Death, and then let's talk a little bit about it afterwards. Let's enjoy.
deaf by Just Mustard. This makes you realize how happy you should be that you're not deaf. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. What I really liked is that uh, small room reverb. They're, they recorded it in some way. Quite intimate, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. It has a totally different feeling than the most shit I listen to. It's kind of dense. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's sort of lo-fi, but uh, in an interesting way. So this is a band from Ireland, from the town of Dundalk. Have you heard of that, Dundalk? Um, I don't think so. Nope, nope. Apparently that town is filled to the brim with musicians, I found out. The thing is, with these uh, newer bands or or younger bands, I like to play them because I think it's really freaking good, and you do too. There's not that much information to talk about. That's the downside, anyway. I found out the town is located halfway between Dublin and Belfast. This band was formed by a group of college friends. They started noodling around with some synths and guitars or so in uh, 2015, around that time. Only to play on major festivals, by the way, and open for The Cure in 2019. Some achievement. So it's a relatively unknown band for most of our listeners, probably, but they did open for The Cure. Damn. More about The Cure later, by the way. We got a special one, a demo version later this episode. Yeah, but this is another one of your finds, right? It's your Peppy yeah, guess, Pe- yeah. Pepper and, and your Red yo- Lorry, Yellow Lorry, and now a band called Just Mustard. I mean, yep. do you specifically go out looking for bands with really weird names? Or yeah. How does that work? <laughs> yeah, you should think so. I don't, man. I, that's the, the beauty of Spotify. But I still have a lot of uh, yeah uh, digital files and CDs and but yeah you get suggestions listening to Spotify you got your weekly uh, specials and this I believe this was in my weekly suggestions or something. Well, you must uh, yeah? be uh, in uh, some special category because uh, they don't have a whole lot of plays uh, in generally just about 70k people listening to these guys yeah. according to Spotify on Spotify, which yeah. is not huge. But uh, I really like the band. Uh, Singer sounded a bit like uh, the niece of Elizabeth Fraser. Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. The dre- dreamy. Yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah. That's a sound you fall for, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, synth heavy. I don't th- yeah, there's one guitar in there, I believe. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just loved it. Got some goosebumps, and I thought I'd share it with you all, dear listeners. Great track. You. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. And um, uh, obviously, I don't go to uh, algorithms uh, to feed me music. I just listen to our listeners. Because we have, uh, up now, we have another band tipped to us by a listener. And we're going to be playing the Crook Shadows, an American dark wave and dark synth pop band from Jacksonville, Florida, in the United States. Now, this band has been around for a long time, over 30 mm-hmm. years. So long ago, they released their first album on a cassette tape. There we go again. Yeah. <laughs> How come, uh, how come we never heard of this? Uh, well, uh, I, I'm not sure, but uh, they do have uh, a very original sound. Many of their tracks feature the electric violin, which is quite different and cool. Uh, Rogue is the person on vocals, words, concepts, drum machines, songsmithing and electric violins. And he's also the leading man of the band. Sometimes, in some periods, even has been the only man in the band. But after many years of record label troubles and uh, floating around, he acquired control of all their artistic catalog and it's now published on his own label, Wishfire Records. Smart move to keep uh, creative control. Mm-hmm. And this one was uh, brought to us uh, by request from uh, Emily K. Eichelberger. Thanks for putting this band on our radar by request. This one is for you and it's called Marilyn My Bitterness. Why? I- 
Emily, thanks for putting this on our radar. Did you know they made a beautiful track about you? Clan of Zymox, Emily. Check it out. It's also on Spotify. Seriously, it's a great one. Yeah, I must say the, the Crux Shadows, I'm not a big fan, in all honesty. Uh, I have a big problem with singers that try to fill up every single piece of space with singing. There is a solo on 4 minutes 40, something around uh, yeah. that. I loved the executive slacks. I loved the rawness of it. The, it keeps dragging along for seven and a half minutes yeah. or so. It's yeah. right up my alley. So. Right, so that was also Emily who suggested them. Um, yeah. Another band I've never heard of, but you know, with an album title like You Can't Hum When You're Dead. <laughs> yeah, You've got yeah. me, man. <laughs> Freaking awesome, right? Yeah, those Can't guys have a... They have they have a really uh, weird uh, selection of songs. Some of them sound like a sort of a psycho version of 70s, uh, early 70s uh, pop music. Uh, and then it goes this direction. Uh, it can be very guitar heavy in some tracks. And then all of a sudden it sounds like uh, the tune from Doctor Who. I mean, they go pretty much everywhere. <laughs> I like the anarchy of uh, executive slacks. Yeah. I heard them before, by the way, there's one track I have in uh, a playlist that I frequently listen to, it's called Say It Isn't So. It's also by the executive Slack, so I remember the name, where do I know it from, but uh, Emily is clearly a girl with taste. Well then, thank you for sharing. Talking about this, this rawness of the executive, executive Slacks, this may be a smooth transition onto the next track we have selected for this uh, episode, right? Yeah, what's it called? It's what's it called? Let me stumble over my words. It's, <laughs> it's by The Cure. That's, that's an easy one. But it's, the, the song is called Sadakik or Sadacic, however you want to call it. It's from 1984. It's a demo version and it's from the album The Top. It wasn't received quite well, it was kind of a breach with what they did before. But just first let us listen to it and then we can share our opinions about it.
Shall we start ranting and raving about how good this album is? What do you think? Yeah. Oh man, I love it. I love the top. Uh, I know everybody hates on it. I don't understand why, because I think it's a very, very interesting and, and, and quite different, but you know, really great album. I have nothing to add. Uh, different is not always good, but in this case, it totally is. I get it's breaching with the things they did before and probably also after, but goddamn. I like my Robert Smith served nice and angry. This is just <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Especially this uh, demo version. Yeah, you can hear that they made some money off the first couple of albums and uh, by now he got some uh, some more, uh, you know, expensive studio equipment at home so his uh, demos become more interesting. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also you can hear he's just messing around, right? I mean, it's like almost 80% into the song. He sort of figures, well, I've done pretty much uh, what the idea for this song was and he starts punching buttons on the drum machine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden different sounds come, you know, at 80% into the track. Uh, you get different drum patterns and then... You figures uh, he might as well throw in an extra couple of uh, guitar riffs just to see how they sound i like the rawness of this right exactly and the the, the recording uh, quality obviously isn't uh, on par but that's just adds a new layer to the experience man he literally is saying shout shout when he's uh, singing he is shouting he's screaming yeah he is man i love it. i love it when he's angry or angry or frustrated or emotional i don't know yeah. no he was just letting it out i'm pretty sure there were yeah. uh, many times when there were not actually words coming out of his mouth but just you know sounds <laughs> yeah. he was sort of tasting what the the sort of wail or what the sound or what the the, the direction would be and uh, worry about the lyrics later that's uh, definitely how it sounded to me at least yeah yeah, likewise, man. Goosebumps all over. Goosebumps. Yeah, great stuff. For sure. Great stuff, as we like to say. Cheers, mate. Is that what we like to share, right? Yep. Thanks for digging this one up. Of course. Uh, from the top. Great album. Everybody who says so, uh, says any different, you know. Yeah, unsubscribe and uh, <laughs> leave, leave us forever. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, moving on. Next up is Sour. A track from Void Vision's debut album, Sub Rosa, which appeared on Berlin-based la label Mannequin Records. Hmm. Mainly a solo work by singer and producer Sherry Vary. The album has an infectious wave synth sound, with songs lush and dynamic in range and structure, and with a strong sense of personality. Also a bit rough around the edges, but I like that. Me too. Here we go, Void Vision, Sour.
This makes me want to dance. Doesn't it? Yeah. It, it sure does. We're, we're recording this on a Wednesday, but this makes me feel it's a Saturday yeah. or yeah. something. It should always be Saturday, really. <laughs> True. Nice find. Yeah, Void Vision. Fresh. Yes. Fresh sounding. It is. Uh, you, you can feel that this is almost uh, uh, underproduced, uh, but I, I really like it. It's uh, a bit older. It's from, uh, the band was formed in 2009 when the minimal synthwave and cold wave genres were really uh, greatly revived. They had previously recorded an EP and uh, released one single, but this is the, really the first and only full length album of Void Vision. It contains tracks that were recorded between uh, 2011 and uh, 2013. This actually was released as a single, Sour. It's an excellent synth-pop track. I like that Void Vision hits us with a quick chorus and Sherry Vary's icy vocals combine perfectly with her epic synth sound to create a cool and catchy song. Catchy, absolutely. I also like the band name, by the way, Void Vision. Yeah, it's cool. I, I thought so, yeah. I tried to look up uh, what she did after 2013 and there's mm. a, a house DJ called Sherry Very, but it looks like it's somebody else. Uh, so uh, she yeah. seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth uh, pretty much, which uh, is a shame. But if any of our listeners know anything about the whereabouts or the uh, musical exploits of Sherry Very after 2014, uh, do let us know. Or maybe she just faded into obscurity. Yeah. Uh, we'll never know. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. So... Talking about fading away. Yeah. We had a loss. We did. Sad times when um, a legend of the uh, synthesizer genre, one of the fathers of uh, many of the different genres of music that we love, uh, passes away. So uh, it happened um, on March 28th, 2023. Only became public knowledge a couple of days later. Uh, Mr. Ryuichi Sakamoto was uh, a music innovator and master of synthesizer music. Mr. Sakamoto-san, as I should say, to honor him, combined Western and Eastern sounds like no one else, a unique combination characteristic of much of his work. Um, we played him only last episode with uh, his Yellow Magic Orchestra. Yep. Um, and this uh, was uh, from the beginning of his career, actually already at the University of Fine Arts and Music in Tokyo, where he studied composition. He showed himself to be a student of both the Japanese composer Toru Takamitsu and the Frenchman Claude Debussy. So he was always marrying those two worlds. Um, as said, he founded the uh, Yellow Magic Orchestra in 1978 with some close friends, which was a pop group with mainly electronic instruments. A quite novel idea at the time. The group was actually often seen as the Asian craftwork, like you uh, mentioned last time, uh, Gov. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. YMO's music was considerably lighter and more melodic than what our German friends did. In their own country, Sakamoto and his friends achieved Beatles-like popularity with it. And actually, Ryuichi was married to Akiko Yano, one of his bandmates in the Yellow Magic Orchestra for a while. So they combined traditional Japanese music with sounds like those heard in video game halls and American genres like funk and disco also influenced the group. Outside Japan, they were much of an influence for British synthesizer groups such as Depeche Mode, Human League and Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark in the 1980s. And like Kraftwerk's music, YMO's music laid the groundwork for later dance movements such as House and Techno. But even Michael Jackson and definitely his producer Quincy Jones were big fans of Ryuchi and his Yellow Magic Orchestra. He also started uh, working solo already in 1978 with his first solo album Thousand Knives, but his personal career really took off in the later 80s. He had great success with pop music, but also as a film composer. The music he composed from the 1990s onwards was mainly minimalist and meditative. The piano was often the main instrument in his almost classical piano works. Asia, as well as Debussy, shone through in it, and Eric Satie was never far away. In the 2000s, he mainly focused on ambient works. His electronic sound always carried an organic warmth, which is quite unique to the genre. And his cooperation with the German Alva Noto is particularly worth checking out. Popular tracks, more pop style, were also always part of his portfolio, although never mainstream. 80s sound influenced him, and David Bowie was a definite inspiration, but he was not a singer himself, rather a composer. Sometimes he added some spoken word to his records. 
and his movie score works finally are deeply layered, each film score soundtrack somehow building on the previous one. Notable are his works for Bertolucci's The Last Emperor, which earned Sakamoto an Oscar mm-hmm. in 1987, as well as The Revenant more recently, with its deep piano sound building into the great orchestral work as well as... With uh, DiCaprio, right? With the bear attack scene? Yes. Oh, yeah, so yeah, deep. Yeah. It's a good movie. Okay, keep going, yeah. sorry. And the sound, yeah. in that, the sound in that movie is great as well. Um, then I also want to reference Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. This is a movie about an impossible love between a prisoner of war and a Japanese soldier in an internment camp, in which he starred together with David Bowie. Oddly enough, in this title track from the movie, um, it's not David Bowie that sings this track. The singer in this track is actually David Sylvian of Japan. This is the title track from that movie, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence by Ryuichi Sakamoto.
I love this uh, introspective ending to another uh, nice episode. Right? Yeah. Beautiful. The uh, combination of the uh, the Asian and uh, European sounds. Um, the story, obviously, about uh, his lover wearing forbidden colors. Um, the uh, opposites, uh, beautifully combined in uh, the melancholy of something, uh, loving something which you cannot attain. It's a beautiful piece of work. Um, it's really hard when somebody who has such a great career, I mean, Oscar winning, um, uh, fantastic piano music, uh, really great pop stuff. Uh, one of the founders of the music that we love and an example for many, and also somebody who is uh, very important in the ambient scene. Um, just picking one song to play is, is like torture almost, but uh, this is a beautiful one and I think it speaks to, uh, to many people. So uh, rest in peace, uh, Mr. Sakamoto-san. Agreed. And it's also kind of freaky. It's kind of a lame word to pick, but I don't know another word, but we just selected uh, one, of their, one of his first ones from YMO in the previous episode. And I believe after we launched that episode on Spotify and iTunes, a couple of days later, we received the news. Really sad. Yeah. So a loss for music, but uh, he's given the world many, many, many beautiful tracks. So if you uh, have not heard of him uh, or haven't uh, heard all sides of uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto, go check him out. There's lots to discover. His music keeps uh, living on. Okay. I think that takes us to the end, doesn't it? It does. I think it does. So, uh, really enjoyed it again. Thanks for letting us do this. Thanks for listening to us and putting up with our bullshit. You know, we appreciate you. Stay strange. And stay in touch. Bye-bye. Stay strange.